Was the weather nice enough for you yesterday? Like, I mean, after a day like yesterday, it's like bring on baseball season and spring right now. I hope you had as good of a day yesterday, maybe doing some stuff outside as I did. I want to welcome our streamers who are with us today. We got one of our members who is in Malibu, California, watching. He sent me a picture. They literally are like on the ocean. He's a Christian. This is my green pastures this week where I've been reading my Bible and praying. This is where I'm going to watch church tomorrow. So um, I hope the waves don't distract you as, uh, as we're having church. But we're all here today, and I'm so glad that you're here. Let me say a word about what's coming next week before we get into the last message of our Mood Swinger series. We're starting a series next week called Better Together. Uh, And in this series, we're going to reveal what we're calling secrets to a great marriage. But this is not merely a marriage series. I've been talking the last few weeks to some of our single folks. Um, to some of our divorce folks. I've been talking to some of our widows and widowers and they say, Christian, man, I'm just going to take that three weeks off because marriage stuff is hard to hear about or it doesn't apply to me um, or I don't need to hear it. Listen, this series is going to contain some secrets about marriage, but this is a series about you and God. Uh, marriage is one of the greatest subjects in the Bible to study, to learn how God loves us and to learn whether or not we receive love the way God has created us to receive it. So regardless of whether you're married or not, the next three weeks are going to be, I think, really, really powerful in our church. Um, and if you're married, listen, if, if you're married and you want to have a better marriage, this is going to be a great series for you. If you're married and you're wondering whether or not you're going to end the year married because you're just in a tough spot, this series should be a must for you. If you think you might get married in the next three years, um, this series should be really, really good for you. But listen, if you're single, this series is going to be great for you. You're going to learn an unbelievable amount about the love of God. Do you know that the Bible opens with a marriage? It ends with a marriage. Jesus did his first miracle at a wedding. And when God got to pick and choose anything on planet earth to try to help people understand how much he loved him, he he chose a marriage. Like studying marriage helps us understand God's love for us. So if you're single, if you're divorced, If you're a widow or a widower, I want you to come the next three weeks. I promise you, I'm thinking about you as I put together my messages. I'm passing them through our single folks and divorced folks and saying, help me make sure this message ministers to everyone. We will have something for you. If you're a teenager, come. Uh, One of my favorite pastors is a guy in Atlanta named Andy Stanley. uh, And he said once about teenagers learning about marriage, he said, basically, listen, your present will one day become your past and your past always works its way into your future. So the best way to really learn about your future is to, is to learn about it in the present. So teenagers, I'd love for you to come. You'll probably be better at marriage than all of us if you learn what I'm going to teach the next few weeks. So this series is for everyone. Now, if you're a player, like if you're a player who lives to hook up week to week with different people, this series probably isn't for you. We'd still love for you to come. Just don't talk to our girls. Um, you can come and you can learn. But just stay away from the ladies at our church, especially this little one on the front row um, that's mine. Um, But we want you to come. It's going to be awesome. Today we are wrapping up Mood Swingers. This is a series that we started our year with because we said on Vision Sunday, the first Sunday of this year, that our goal as a church was to see our people live fully alive. We wanted this year for you to be the best year of your life, best year of your spiritual life, best year of your physical life, best year of your relationship life. Best year financially. We wanted this to be the best year where you live more fully alive than you've ever lived. Why? Because most people aren't there. Most people are surviving in life. They're not thriving. Every Wednesday, I do the exact same thing. I get up early. I get ready. I take my son. I drop him off from, at school. 
um, in between school and the church. I stop at Quick Trip on 291 and 150 Highway. I get the largest Diet Coke that they are legally allowed to sell me. And then I come here um, and I preach my message and I record our, our podcast. Like I'm, I'm two weeks ahead in message and podcast. I do that so I can get good feedback on the message. It's why I've got some single folks and divorced folks listening to my messages before I give them to you so they can tell me what I can change so that I can better minister um, to you. And last Wednesday, I was at Quick Trip doing my thing, and I'm standing in line behind this lady who I've never seen before. I'll probably never see since. And the guy behind the counter, he could tell she was kind of flustered, um, so he told her how much her purchase was, and he said, how are you doing today? And she said, I'm just hoping to make it to Thursday. It was Wednesday morning. How are you doing today? I'm just hoping to make it to Thursday. I think that's probably more common than uncommon. How are you doing? I'm just hoping to make it till tomorrow. How are you doing? I can't tell you the number of people in our church that begin to get anxiety every Sunday afternoon because another week is beginning to start, and they start convincing themselves on Sunday if they can just hang on for five days, the weekend is coming. You were not built to survive. You were built to thrive, which is why we're in this series. In the last three weeks, we've, said, we've been saying, how do we live a life so emotionally healthy that we thrive? So we've been talking about dealing with our past. We've been talking about walking intentionally into this year, creating an ideal week that puts priorities first and doing those things first. We've been talking about how to follow the shepherd and find our green pastures so that every day we can plug into Jesus and get kind of recharged spiritually. We realized last week from a rock climber that sometimes you have to separate from things in your past to walk into things in your future. And even though it's painful, it's helpful. Why are we doing this? So all of us can get off the emotional roller coaster of life and live fully alive. Why? Because that's how God created us to live, not to survive but to thrive. The question, though, people are starting to ask me is, Christian, how do I know when I've arrived there? Like, how do I know when I'm emotionally healthy? Because I've started doing the things that you've been teaching, but I still feel like I'm just on this emotional roller coaster. You know, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, or you've spent time on a real choppy lake, or you've been on a boat, but sometimes you can get off of a boat, and for several hours, it still feels like you're on a boat. They, they call that sea legs when it just feels like you're kind of unsteady. Some of you are actually getting emotionally healthy. It just doesn't feel like it yet because you still kind of have your sea legs. You've got your emotionally unhealthy legs under you. But I promise you, if you do for a long term what we have talked about, you're going to find yourself steadying and stabilizing. But more than that, do you know that we can know in our spirit that we've arrived at the point of emotional and spiritual health because the Bible gives us a test? Like the Bible gives us kind of a diagnostic that we can run on ourselves to see whether or not we're at a place of emotional and spiritual health. As we close this series, I want to give you a picture of emotional health so you know what you're looking for in the future. So turn to Galatians chapter 5 if you have your Bible or fire up our Journey Church International app. Reach inside your bulletin and pull out the sermon notes so that you can follow along. Because in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to see what emotionally healthy looks like. And if Galatians chapter 5 sounds familiar, it should, um, because we talked about it last week in our podcast. So our church has started a weekly podcast, and you say, what's the purpose of this podcast named Activate? How many of you grew up in a church where you went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? Anybody grow up going to old Wednesday night church? I, I grew up going to old Wednesday night church. Our podcast is Wednesday night church. Our podcast is the Bible study between the weekends that kind of connects what we've learned kind of at a little deeper level and prepares us for the next week. So last week's podcast, Pastor Brandon asked me a question about the message. How, why is it so hard for Christians 
to kind of separate from their past and live towards the future. And I jumped into this text because of what Galatians 5 says. It was kind of the bridge that brings us to this Sunday. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, get it. And at least one day on your drive, take 18 minutes and listen to the deeper truths of the message we're presenting. It'll just kind of spur your heart and mind for what you can learn and give you another kind of church service in the midst of your week while you're on your way to work. And what do we learn from Galatians chapter 5? We're going to start in verse 16 and go through verse 25. What does emotionally healthy look like and why is it so hard to get there? Those are the questions we're hoping to answer. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. The spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want or you never do what you're trying to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, As I did before, those who live like this are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance. That means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, before we go deeper, I want to teach you a little bit about Galatians that'll make this text mean even more to you, and it'll make it even more important to you. So Galatians was the first New Testament book written to Gentile Christians. You say, what's a Gentile? It's anyone who's not Jewish. So if you're in here and you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile. It was how the Jews described everyone else in the world that wasn't them. Remember when the church began, Jesus was Jewish, his disciples were Jewish, Pentecost happened in Jerusalem. The first several thousand people that started following Jesus were all Jewish. Really, the first Gentile Christians happened, we see, on a missionary journey that the Apostle Paul took. And that's what Galatians references. It's written to a group of churches started by the Apostle Paul in Acts 13 and 14. And I want to give you a map, and I want to bring some kind of modern-day current events into today's message. So go to the map if you would. So you can kind of see Jerusalem down at the bottom of the screen by the Dead Sea. The first Gentile Christians in the world were in Syria, modern-day Syria. It's interesting that where Christianity is trying to be wiped out today and people are fleeing as refugees, the first non-Jewish Christians were in Syria, right there at Antioch. You can see Aleppo, which is still a modern-day city, Damascus, a modern-day city. And it was the Gentile Christians at Antioch that said, listen, the whole world should hear about Jesus. It was the Syrian Christians who are responsible for our faith, who are now fleeing that we need to be praying for and trying to figure out how we can help take care of. And Paul left Antioch in Syria. Go to the next map, if you would. We kind of zoom in. He sailed to the island of Cyprus, spent a week there telling people about Jesus. And then he went up into Antioch, Pisidius, same name, different region. Then he went into the region of Galatia, started a church at Iconium, Lystra, Derby, went back and visited all those churches. And then he went back home, back to Syria, and he told the people, it's unbelievable, God is moving. Like all these Gentiles are becoming Christians, it's unbelievable. And the Jews from Jerusalem came up to Syria and said, you can't do that. And this massive conflict broke out, number three, dealing with whether or not Christians had to become Jewish before they could become Christians. So the people who came from Jerusalem said, listen, we're appreciative of like what you did, but until people are Jewish, being Jewish is a sign that you're connected to God. 
Until you're Jewish, you can't become connected to God's Messiah, Jesus. And Paul said, no, 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 that's not the way it works. And in Acts 15, we get to kind of be behind the scenes in a board meeting where they, they decided it's not being Jewish that determines whether or not you're a Christian. It's whether or not the Spirit of God has connected to your life in a tangible way. That's what shows whether you're accepted by God, the spirit of your life. So one of the themes, number four, of this book of Galatians is to learn to see and trust the spirit. Why? As evidence that they were living from God. So this book was written to a group of people trying to figure out, am I a Christian? This book was written to a group of people trying to figure out, do I have the spirit in my life, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? This was written to a group of Christians trying to figure out, are we doing this right? Does my Christianity look good So the content of the book is to help people understand that. Put a different way, Paul's trying to help these churches um, see a picture of what spiritual and emotional health looks like on a daily basis. Here's, if you're this, your life looks like this. He's saying when you really become who God has created you to be from the inside, emotionally, your life looks like this. And he gives us a list of nine characteristics of what an emotionally healthy life one that's fueled by the Spirit of God looks like. My question to you this morning is, how'd you grade? How'd you grade out on the test? So you're thinking, wait a minute, there's a test? I didn't even know there was a test. Did I fail the test? No, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul said, here's, here's kind of the test. Are you a Christian? How are you doing spiritually? Are you emotionally healthy? Are you spiritually healthy? Can people see Jesus in you? Paul said, here's the test, these nine things. See how your life looks, and you'll know whether or not you're doing well. So you say, okay. How do I figure out how I'm doing? Two things that we got to do today as a church. Number one, we got to test our fruit. You got to test your fruit. So that's, that sounds like an odd phrase. I know, but you'll remember it. You got to test your fruit. You know, I don't know if you know this, but Israel is the citrus capital of kind of the Middle East. Like Israel is Florida. We don't think of that in our heads because Middle East is Middle East, but Israel is Florida. Everyone in Europe gets their oranges and their lemons, and their limes, and their grapefruits from Israel. Most of the people in Western Asia get their grapefruits and stuff from Israel. So the first time we were in Israel, um, we got to visit a kibbutz, which was a, a commun- basically communal living, people living kind of Old Testament style, taking care of the land. And we went to a grapefruit farm that was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of grapefruit trees where they just kind of showed us how they were developing the land. Well, I've got a picture I want to show you. They had truckloads and truckloads and truckloads of grapefruit. If you've not traveled with me, you don't know that I'm kind of the class clown. I used to sit in the hallway a lot in school. Um, but, you know, they told us, you know, anything like on the ground you can touch, like don't bother the grapefruits that are up already um, ready to be processed. So, of course, I climbed up there and I was like, forbidden fruit. So he took a picture of me. So, you know, there, there is one of dozens like of tractor trailers full of grapefruit. Go to the next picture if you would. But they let us pick our own fruit um, and eat it. The guy in the number 63 shirt there, his name's Aton. He was kind of our guide that day. And he was like, you've got to taste the fruit of Israel. Like it, it's, it's the best in the world. So we actually got to pick grapefruit from a tree. And he's like, you got to peel, peel it and eat it. Eat it. It's so sweet. It's so juicy. So we were all peeling it and we were eating it. And you'll notice a guy in a green polo shirt. His name's David Cole. He helped us start our church. He took us to Israel the first time. He's one of the, the few who's actually not peeling his fruit. So Aton's like, peel the fruit, you got to eat the fruit. So we're peeling it and we're eating it. And as soon as Aton turns his back, David says, don't eat the fruit, like spit it out. And we're like, spit, we're spitting it out. And we're like, why? And he said, the fruit's no good. Um, he said, they don't treat it here like they do in America. They don't treat it while it's still on the trees. He said, it's got a long way to go before it gets ready for consumption. Don't eat the fruit, the fruit's no good. Um, there are some of you in here today, spiritually, your fruit's no good. 
You say, what do you mean by that, Christian? My fruit is no good. Well, in the Bible, the teachers in the New Testament often referred to the actions of your life as fruit. So when I say your fruit's no good, I'm saying people looking at your life, they aren't seeing Jesus in your actions or in your spirit. John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, said it this way in Matthew 3, 8 through 10. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, which means change. Have actions that show you've changed. And don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. This phrase, Abraham and our, Abraham is our father, is the same thing as saying, I go to church. It's the same thing as people hearing a message saying, you need spiritual actions in your life, and people saying, well, no, I, don't go, to, no, I go to church. John the Baptist is saying, it doesn't matter if you say Abraham is your father. The, the proof of your faith is not that you go to church. It's not the activity in church. It's the actions of your life outside of the church that shows whether or not God is in you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Every good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Thus, by your fruit, you're going to recognize them. Jesus is practically saying this. A Christian with unspiritual fruit is an apple tree with oranges. So you're saying, wait a minute. There's no such thing as an apple tree with oranges. Are you saying that if I don't have spiritual fruit that I'm not a Christian? I'm not saying anything. I'm just reading what Jesus said. But that's what Jesus said. Paul said it this way. In Colossians 1, 9 and 10, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Here's where Paul kind of changes the narrative a little bit. You see, in his spiritual mentorship, Paul asked people to become expert fruit inspectors of their own fruit. But he was really the first to do this. John the Baptist said, look at their life. Their life will tell you whether or not they have the spirit. Jesus said, look at their life. Their life will tell you whether or not they have the spirit. Paul said, no, no, no. Look at your life. Remember, he's writing to people who are trying to figure out, do we, are we really connected to God? Paul said, look at your life and that will tell you. You know, sadly, most Christians have become expert fruit inspectors when it comes to judging the faith of others. Like, we are really good at looking at the actions of people and trying to figure out whether or not they love God. We make those judgments like that. We are really good at watching people and judging their spirit and how much they love Jesus. We are really good at at seeing fruit in the lives of others and figuring out where people are spiritually. But Paul said we actually need to turn that around. This week's podcast, I'm going to teach you how I was taught to see fruit. And basically, I I lived in a church that taught me how to see fruit by seeing it in others rather than myself. And it took me a long time to retrain my brain to realize that what's spiritually the most healthy for me is to see the bad fruit in me, not in others. Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves. It's the thought of testing. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. This was a big deal to Paul. 
Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. Paul wrote to the churches in Colossae. And he said, listen, every now and then you have to stop and do a fruit inspection and see how you're doing spiritually. So when's the last time you've done that? I dare you this week. Like I triple dog dare you stick your tongue to a frozen flagpole. I dare you to become a fruit inspector this week. So much so that if you reach inside your bulletin, you're going to see two cards that I've put in there labeled fruit inspection. These are for you this week. You say, why do you want me to take a test four times? I don't. I want you to take one of these fruit inspection tests. And I want you honestly at some point this week to sit down and I want you to evaluate yourself on these areas in your life. But if you're really serious about figuring out where you are spiritually, I want you to take these other three. And if you have a family, I want you to give them to your wife and kids. I want you to give them to your husband and your kids. And I want you to say, I want you to evaluate me. What do you see in me? And if you get really courageous, you'll do what I did. I've never done this before until the last couple weeks. I actually made extra copies of these and I gave them to the four or five people that I work closest with on a daily basis who are not in my family. And I said, I need to understand how you see me. See, I've got a goal this year to be more spiritually alive. I've got a goal this year to be more fully alive. I've got a goal this year to be spiritually healthy. And I want to give you permission to speak into my life and tell me how I'm doing. I dare you this week. Take the test. Give the test. And if you have somebody that you've been praying for that you want to see Maybe come find out who Jesus is. Give them one of these. It will impress them way more to know you're working on your faith than to know you're working on their faith. You want to impress someone spiritually? Tell them you want to do better and that you need their help to help you do better. I dare you to become a fruit inspector this week. And after you do this and you learn where you're doing well and you're learning where there's room for growth, I want to challenge you, number two, step up. I want to challenge you to step up. I want to challenge you. Notice that the U and the P are both capitalized. I want to challenge you to get vertical in your thinking, which means get spiritual in your thinking. Look at verse 25 one more time of Galatians 5. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul is saying to the Galatians, since because it's the Spirit that proves our spiritual lives, Like Paul had been fighting for these people so they wouldn't have to become Jewish before they could become Christians. Paul said, I have basically pledged that the spirit is in you since it's the spirit that proves it. Man, let's let the spirit become the pursuit of our spiritual life. If the spirit proves our spiritual life, let's let the spirit be the pursuit of our spiritual life. Say, what does that look like? You have to stay close to Jesus. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you are going to bear much fruit. You say, I'm a Christian, but sometimes I don't feel very spiritual. Are you close to Jesus? Jesus promised if you're a Christian and you stay close to him, you'll bear fruit. His promise, not mine. So are you close to Jesus? Your fruit will tell you. If you stay close to Jesus, you're going to bear much fruit. If you spend time with Jesus, you're going to bear much fruit. 
If you find that green pasture and you plug into Jesus, you're going to bear much fruit, which is why we started the year with Matthew 6.33 saying, here's what's going to be first and foremost all, all year long. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We said we're going to put Jesus first. Why? Because from Jesus flow all the good things of Christianity. So he said, this year we're going to seek the kingdom of God in 2017. We're going to put God first. So many of you have done that more this year than you've ever done before. I hope you see it in your fruit. We're going to put our family second. This is going to be the year we stop working so hard for what's in the house that we have no time for who's in the house. We're going to put our family way up on the priority list. And then we're going to develop a spiritual family. Why? Because these things are God's gift to us. And you know what? Stepping up involves closing the gap between the fruit you desire to have and the fruit you're currently developing. Look at that fruit inspection list. Who doesn't want this set of them? They're loving. They're joyful. They're at peace. They have patience with people. They're filled with kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's not a Christian alive who says, I just don't want to be seen this way. But are you seen this way? Because God has given you the gift of being able to have that. Do you realize living fully alive is a gift? It's not a burden. Like giving, living fully alive is something we get to do, not something we have to do. Like Jesus says, hey, I've given you forgiveness. I've given you salvation. I've given you eternal life. But as a bonus on top of that, you can actually have the best life on planet earth if you want it. But you got to stay close to me. Do you want it? You know, there's an old rabbinic saying from the first century where the Jews said, God will one day hold us accountable for all the things he created for us to enjoy, but we refuse to do. God created for you to put him first. God created you to put your family second. God created you to have a spiritual family that you enjoyed. And if you're not enjoying those, that's not God's fault. He created them. He's given them to you. And God will one day hold us each accountable for the things he created for us to enjoy, but we refused to do. And I got to be honest, I want my life to look like this. But as I got my fruit inspection list back from my wife and my kids and my staff. You know, when I first started looking at it, I looked at a few areas and I thought, uh, I knew in my head I'm not doing well there, but I thought, I hope they don't know I'm not doing as well there as I know I'm not doing as well there. So I graded myself lower in a few areas and my staff graded me even lower than I graded myself. You know what they were saying? Christian, we see you. We see, we see what's in your spirit. We see what's not in your spirit. And they were saying, Christian, you got some spoiled fruit. Like you're our pastor, you're our spiritual leader. But if this is emotionally and spiritually healthy, you got some room for growth. And man, I thank them all individually and said, thank you for helping me see where I could grow. Because I, I don't want to be a great pastor. I want to be a great Christian. And that's what that looks like. So thanks for helping me grow. You know, there's three things that cause fruit to spoil quickly. These are three things that always kill emotional health. I'll read them fast because you don't have to write them down. Anxiety, rushing, and ignoring limits. You know, if you grade really low as a Christian in an area of spiritual fruit, it's probably because of one of these three things. You know, there are some of you in here who have children who are younger than the age of seven, and they think their names are like, hurry up, and, you know, let's go. Like, they hear those two words more than they hear their name. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, let's go. Let's go, hurry up, let's go. And like they hear that phrase from someone else and they're like, mom, you know, it's like they, you know, they're like, they think that's them. Hurry up. Let's go. You know, I, I looked at the fruit of my life and I thought, you know what? Anxiety, rushing and ignoring limits. 
Man, they cause fruit to spoil so quickly. I wish I could sit in every small group this week because our small groups are going to answer this question. Which of these three things causes your fruit to spoil the fastest? And some of you, just by answering this question, are going to see an area of growth that can develop in your life. And it's, it's going to be awesome. And I wish I could sit and, and hear it individually with you. We're at the end of this message, but let's go back to the beginning of the series. Why this series? Are, are, are we turning into a self-help church? Self-help, you know, emotional health. No, we're not. Our mission remains the same. We exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. Why emotional health then? Because we believe emotional health is the engine that drives passionate Christians to have the impact that God's called them to. We believe it's the emotional health, margin, reserves, and intentionality of life that allows us to be who God has created us to be instead of just desiring to be who God has created us to be. It's the difference between intending to do something and being intentional about doing something. Intend and intentional are two different words. We usually never get around to what we intend to do. We always do what we're intentional about doing. That's emotional health. You say, well, Christian, what happens if I'm not there yet? What happens if like all my scores are ones and twos and threes and zeros? Well, here's what you need to know. None of us are where we want to be. None of us are where we want to be. But as long as we're not where we used to be, like we're moving in the right direction. And Jesus said, if you have no fruit, just hang on. Just hang on. He actually told a parable about this in Luke 13, 6 through 9, because people wanted to quickly judge and do away with people who didn't have any fruit. Not Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says about those who don't have fruit yet. He said he told a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he couldn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Jesus says, let's take another year. Let's take another year this year and let's, let's dig deeper into our heart than we've ever dug this year. Let's take another year and this year let's feed our soul more than we've ever fed our soul. Sermons, podcasts, Bible reading, small groups. Let, let's not quit. Let's take a year and let's get deeper. Let's take a year and let's get more developed and let's keep growing spiritually. Why? So we can have a life of spiritual depth and spiritual impact. You know, in 1209, there was a man alive who we now know as St. Francis of Assisi who founded a monastery for people who wanted to learn and live like him. They became known as the Franciscan monks. The current Pope who took his name Francis took it from St. Francis of Assisi. And here was the goal of the Franciscan monks. They wanted to live a life of spiritual depth and spiritual impact. I mean, if you just go by the goal, couldn't we all be Franciscan monks? I mean, who here doesn't want to have a life of spiritual depth and spiritual impact? But the Franciscan monks had a prayer that they would pray over each other and a blessing that they would bless each other with every day when they saw each other. And when they would meet in their times of solitude together to just kind of meditate and focus on the Lord, they wouldn't break until someone had prayed this blessing over them that their life would be a life of spiritual depth and spiritual impact. Listen to the words of this blessing from these monks 800 years ago. They prayed and asked God for each other. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, hard hearts, 
half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live from deep within your heart where God's spirit dwells. And may God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejections, starvations, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world and in your neighborhood so that you will courageously try what you don't think you can do. But in Jesus Christ, you'll have the strength necessary to do. And may God bless you so that you remember we are all called to continue God's redemptive work of love and healing in God's place, in and through God's name, in God's spirit, continually creating and breathing new life and grace into everything and into everyone we touch. Journey, I want to remind you today, you have been created to live fully alive. You have been created once you meet Jesus to thrive. And the instructions for how to do this, we've been looking at for a month. The instructions are very, very simple. The application is very, very hard, but it's very, very worth it. And I want you to know as a pastor, I want this life so bad for you. Like it's the whole reason we do what we do every week because we want this life for you. We see what Jesus offers and we're like, yes, we want that life for our people. So as a pastor, I'm gonna keep pushing you towards it. Every Sunday this year, I'm gonna figure out how to push you one step closer to the life that God has for you. And I'm praying you towards it. I'm praying for you as a congregation that God will allow us to experience it. But today I'd like to go one step further. And I'd like to pray this blessing over you. I've been reading in my Bible reading plan with a lot of you in Exodus and Leviticus. And often Moses and Aaron were told to bless the people. God told them, go bless the people. Go speak a blessing over the people. Go give a blessing to the congregation. So today I would like to bless you and speak a blessing over you that these Franciscan monks spoke over each other for 800 years. So would you just stand, all of you, right?